This audio is from the Axis Church and is part of the sermon series, First John, Seeing Through the Gray, A Guide to Living in the World. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. And uh, if the children, second grade to little babies, would come up, we'll pray and uh, send them out. Father, we, uh, we come before you this morning and uh, we just give you thanks. We give thanks for your name. We give thanks that you glorify yourself in this church and in our lives and in our children. And we just pray that uh, you would grow them, deepen them, and uh, be with their teachers. Uh, give them patience. Give them mercy and grace. And we just thank you for your goodness um, and faithfulness to us. Um, and it's in Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Jason Hermansdorfer. I'm one of the Axis Church Planning residents here. Um, My wife, Amanda, and I, we lead a comm group on Tuesday nights in Sylvan Park. So if any of you guys are looking to get plugged in, love to talk to you, come up, meet us. Uh, We're actually getting together for lunch today. So if you're looking to get introduced, we'd love to have you guys join us. Um, I get to read the text this morning, and I'm really excited about what Jesus is going to do uh, through this through our gathering. So let's let's um, stand and be encouraged by the reading of God's word. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is far is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he who has, been, who has born concerning his Son, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar." because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we know that you're with us. You promise to be with us. When we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And Lord, it has to be you this morning to change us, to transform hearts. We can't do that. Services can't do that. But Lord, you can do that through your Holy Spirit, through what you've done in Jesus. God, you can change our hearts through through your word. God, be with Jeremy this morning. Give him clarity. May it be your words that we hear through him. God, give him a peace 
And Lord, help all of us that are hearing this to receive it, Lord, the way that you have intended for us to receive it. May the Holy Spirit just allow us to receive it. And not just receive it, but may it change our lives. May it give us peace today. May, may we celebrate just who you are and uh, what you've done for us through Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Thank you, Jason. I want to give a couple things, uh, information of note to pass along to you. Um, First, uh, an update on our building situation. Um, For those who don't know, basically what happened, uh, we've been renting for a couple years now, and uh, our landlord uh, informed Ben, who's over our stewardship ministry and team, along with David Deal and Clay Cornett, um, Ben Williams. They, uh, they were contacted by John, and uh, John's like, man, I want to sell the building. John is not who we're talking about this morning. John is our landlord, and uh, said, I want to sell the building, and uh, so we're in talks with him. Um, they met with him on Friday, um, and they're going to be hearing basically John's offer of what he wants to sell the building for um, this Wednesday. So be play- praying that that's very low. And, um, and that we can negotiate uh, a fair cost in order to keep our place here in this community. Um, so be praying for wisdom there. Uh, please be praying for wisdom. Uh, and also be uh, continuing to be generous in how you contribute financially to the church as we consider this uh, cost that's before us. And we'll keep everyone informed on what that looks like and, and all. We're waiting to hear back from him. So update coming probably even next week on where we are um, with this. Also, uh, man, we are in a, in a great need for people to serve. Um, everything from uh, leading uh, the ushering team with the offering to serving in kids to helping with PowerPoint and sound and music and, and all sorts of different ways that we need you all to serve. And you're, you all are uniquely gifted. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, so you can't hide it. We know that you are uniquely gifted and fit um, for uh, the ministry here at the Axis. So let us know where, where that is that you think you can serve or what you're good at or what you like to do. Um, you can sign up in the foyer in the lobby. Um, there should be a sign-up sheet there underneath the big steel wall, um, the wooden wall. And uh, so do that, please. Um, I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the Axis Church. Um, we are just over four years old and very, very excited about what Jesus is doing in us, our church, our community, our city. It's a very, very exciting time to be a part of uh, the Axis Church. Um, I'm very, very pumped every day when I think about what all God has been doing um, through you all, through me, and corporately in how we work and minister together. So it's, there's a lot to be excited about. Um, at the core of our identity here at the Axis Church is the idea that we are disciples of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus. And our vision at the Axis is to see Jesus made famous. And so that's why we start our gathering with Pastor Jacob saying, we're here for Jesus. It's why we sing about Jesus. It's why we preach about Jesus. And we're going to share communion as we remember what Jesus has done for us. 
and we're going to sing more songs about Jesus, and we're going to have a time for offering where we respond to the generosity of Jesus in a very practical way. So everything is about Jesus. You're going to be commissioned in Jesus' name as you leave here this week, today for this week that lays before all of us. We, we believe that it's all about Jesus and that he is special and unique. And this is the very heartbeat of John transitioning here into our sermon text in John chapter 5. If you don't have the Bible already opened up, grab one, grab your tablet, whatever, and, uh, and, and focus in on John chapter 5, 6 through 12. The idea of Jesus being unique and special was the heartbeat of John as he writes this letter. You see, he's writing this letter of John to a very particular group of people, or group, groups of, a group of groups. Um, he's writing to churches that were scattered around the ancient city of Ephesus. He's writing to encourage them and to push them towards accuracy in believing the real Jesus. Because he believed that Jesus was unique and special. He believed that it was all about Jesus. And there were some people that had been a part of these churches that John helped. And he was elder over some of them. And he, he's speaking into them saying, you know, there's this group of people that are teaching false views of who Jesus is. They're coming in and they're pulling you astray. And so John is writing this letter with full emotion. He's writing this thinking of these men who and women who are pulling these precious Christians astray, believing the false Jesus. And he's lovingly thinking of the people that are being affected by this false teaching. And so it's with these images in his mind that he pins this, obviously, but needs to be stated, under the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter to correct people's thinking about who Jesus was. And he's trying to let them see who the real Jesus is. And that is to be believed in. And so when he writes this, he is denying certain things that these false teachers are affirming. And he's affirming certain things that these false teachers are denying. And so that's the context by which we go into this passage. This is our ninth week in this letter. We're going to wrap it up next week. It'll be 10 weeks that we spend in total in the book of 1 John. And we've entitled the, the series, Seeing Through the Gray, because we believe, as we read this book over and over, that John is drawing a line, as it were, and saying there's black and white. There, there isn't gray here with Jesus. To believe, I mean, you, you heard uh, Jason read the text, whoever has the son has life, which implied there, heavily implied is whoever does not have the son has death. It's very black and white. There is no gray. So we're going to get to that verse along with these other verses this morning, and I pray that you are encouraged. I pray that you are challenged, um, and I pray that you do not just push away, but that you consider these things about Jesus, just as the recipients of this letter, the original audience, as they heard, as it was read aloud what John wrote, they heard it, they considered it. Some chose to believe what John had written. Others continued down the road towards the false teachers. So I pray that you're in the first group of people, that you consider these things, and that you're drawn near to the real Jesus, and you're not misled or misguided in following a Jesus that doesn't exist. So let's look together here in, in verse 6 
Um, I'm going to read a couple verses and give commentary. Verse six is a is a is a chunk of scripture, and uh, so we're just going to we're going to say some things after that verse, and then we're going to combine some verses as we give commentary. So I pray that you're encouraged here. Uh, verse six of chapter five of First John. This is he, speaking of Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So here, John isn't just a voice claiming to have this truth. He's leaning heavily on the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of these people to allow them to receive this truth, which is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit here is is the very Spirit of Jesus. It's the very Spirit of God who works in the hearts and lives of his people. So John was baptized by Jesus, it's recorded, and, and he has witnessed thousands of baptisms of others who were baptized in Jesus' name. And John was there when Jesus died. He witnessed the brutal death and resurrection of Jesus. So he's speaking from a very well-informed perspective. So he's speaking of baptism and blood, which is the death of Christ. So the heretics, the false teachers, and John agreed that Jesus had a baptizing ministry. You see this? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, implying that the heretics, the false teachers, and John, we agreed that he came by water. But by the water and the blood. That's the point of focus as he's addressing this false teaching. So they all agreed that Jesus was a baptizer, and he had a baptizing ministry. However, the false teachers and John had very differing perspectives on the death of Jesus. You see, Jesus did die a very brutal death, and his death was unique. It was different from all the other thousands that had been witnessed before. These false teachers didn't believe that the true Messiah that they were hoping for and waiting for would die. They didn't think that that Messiah could die. They were expecting a a political, um, physical king They were expecting this Messiah figure, this king, uh, that that he would come and make all their dreams come true. They didn't have a paradigm. They didn't have a concept for our king's going to come and he's going to die. Wait, what? They had a paradigm of our king's going to come and he's going to rule and he's going to reign and he's going to make us a prosperous, powerful nation. They were thinking through the the practical, uh, physical, tangible understanding of Messiah. They didn't think spiritual or eternal. So their, their plan for the Messiah wasn't that he would die. And his coming by blood refers to him, Jesus, laying down his life as an atoning sacrifice in order to provide for the cleansing of the sins of his people. And it was this reality of Jesus having an atoning sacrifice of himself, giving himself in his death that these false teachers denied. And it is this very point that John felt that he had to affirm and to speak into and say, no, this is the truth about Jesus. Here's here's what many believed back then and still many believe today about Jesus, that Jesus was a historic figure. Yes, we believe that Jesus lived. They believe that Jesus did some magic tricks, some miracles. 
They believe that he was a prophet and he spoke on behalf of God. People can accept that. People accept, even in the time of John, that he died and that he died on a cross. That isn't usually up for debate even in modern times. But it's his life and death and it mattering zero that's up for debate. His death didn't accomplish anything is what these false teachers were saying. Basically, he's not the Messiah. So even if his death did matter, it didn't matter for us. Because our Messiah is not here yet. Jesus isn't that Messiah. That's the voice of the false teachers that are informing these early Christians. And John is like, no, not at all. He came by water and he came by blood. This is what he's focusing in on. And John and and many of us here believe differently than these false teachers. We believe that Jesus' life did matter. His death did matter. His life mattered like no other life before and no other life since then. That the death of Jesus mattered. The death of Jesus mattered more than any death before or any death after. We believe that Jesus was born on purpose, for a purpose, and that purpose was to live perfectly for us and to die a brutal death for us. To go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, meaning propitiation is a fancy word for a a, a sponge-like thing that absorbs wrath, a substitute. It's someone who takes on the punishment for someone else. The punishment must be given, so someone, instead of the one who deserves it, someone steps in, takes the punishment for them, and the one who had originally deserved it gets away free. But the punishment has been given, so there's no more punishment left. Jesus did this for us in his death on the cross. The false teachers did not believe this. Many today do not believe this. But this is why Jesus came. Even in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. God made Jesus to be sin, and Jesus did not sin. But he was made our sin so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. It is the life and death of Jesus that reconciles us to God. And this has been God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus' life and his death is what restores our broken relationship with God, the creator. It's what cleanses us from all sin as well as the sin that others have committed against us. It justifies us before God. A simple way of, of remembering what justification means is it's just as if I've never sinned and just as if I've always obeyed. That's what we receive. We are made perfect. We are made the righteousness of God. We are justified because of what Christ has done for us and our belief and our trust and our hope and our faith in that finished work of Jesus where, we're decla- where we are declared righteous. You are good enough. You are perfect in the eyes of God. You are now fit for heaven as I describe it that way for my children. You're good enough to be with God. Not because of anything that we've done, but by the activity and work and effort of Jesus Christ. And God seeing that work as sufficient to cover you and to cover me. This is grace. Let's move on to verse 7. 
and eight. For there are three that testify, speak the truth into something, and that is the spirit and the water and the blood, these three agree. The spirit, the baptizing ministry of Jesus, and the blood, the blood of the cross, the death of the Messiah, the death of Jesus, and what he accomplished. These three things are not unrelated, they are unified. There is harmony here among these three things. All three work together in the great act of God in Christ for our salvation, which is the means of our life, as we will see. Let's look in verse nine through 11. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son, that he's borne witness to, that he's given concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God speaking of Jesus, has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. Here it is. This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this eternal life is in the son. All this testimony talk in these passages, it's right there. What's the testimony? What's the testimony? What's, what's he mean that God's saying? What's he, what's he affirming? God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God's testimony must always be more important and more weighty than human testimony. God gives testimony, he testifies, if you will, through his word. Psalm 118 verse eight says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. We place our hope and trust in so many things. May we, may we trust and hope in God more than these other things. Because trusting in God is greater and better and more certain and sure. He is objective truth. He is the one who never lies. The one who is never wrong. The one who cannot be wrong. The one who cannot lie. The one who always must be greater. The one who always must be better. The one who always must be more certain and more sure than anything else in all of creation. This is our God. He is always right and true and good. But it's amazing how quickly we drift to believe that there's, there can be hope placed in this. And I mean, we, we believe that, oh, this is cool. And then moments later, seconds later, it seems, we're like, ah, oh, that's not cool anymore. Fads come and go. Like, we think, oh, this is it, man. I'm going to go buy all these things. I'm going to collect all that. I'm going to do all this. And it's like, you visit, somebody visits, are you still into this stuff? Nah. It's like the pyramid scheme people. You know, it's like, oh man, I gotta show you this, I gotta show you this, you know. And you're like, man, that was tough to get out of. In three weeks, you're talking to him, hey man, are you still, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody have that experience? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what John is saying is like, do not move away from, do not drift away from the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. We scatter, we, we believe this, we believe that. There's things that men say that we believe. And he's like, believe the creator of these men. If there's room for you to believe something simple that men may say, please leave room for believing that God of these men, the creator of all things, can be believed. 
he is greater. And if something is ever contrary to what God tells us in his word about himself and about his son Jesus, then it must be a lie. I'll say that again because this is not popular at all. If something is ever contrary to what God tells us in his word about himself or about his son, Jesus Christ, then it's a lie. No matter how appealing or intriguing or beneficial it may seem, if it does not align with scripture, with God's perfect word, it's a lie. I don't care how brilliant you think your friend is, if he's preaching and teaching contrary to scripture, he is wrong. Whoever, he says here that whoever does not believe God makes him a liar. It's not the one who doesn't believe, it's making God out to be a liar. So this isn't stating that God can literally be made a liar. It's, it's this idea of putting words in the mouth of God. It's like saying, oh yeah, Josh, man, Josh does, you know, he, he can throw a lift kit on your truck, he can fix your lawnmower, he can put brakes on your car, and he'll probably do it for free. Josh is nowhere to defend himself. So you go up to Josh. Hey, Josh, uh, Pastor Jeremy said that you would put my brakes on for free. He's like, uh, no, I don't. What? So it's, it's, it's putting words in his mouth, and it's making him a liar when he doesn't give it for free and when he actually charges for it. Here's the idea. John is telling us that there is one way to God and that it is through the life and death and resurrection of God's son, Jesus Christ. And to believe that there is any other way to God and that God will surely save others a different way because they're sincere is putting words in the mouth of God that God did not speak for himself. It's making God out to be a liar. There is a way to think of God. There is a way to God. It's Jesus and it's through Jesus. Jesus said this, so take this up with him. John 14, 6, he said literally these words, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one, no one gets to the Father except through me. There are some that get to the Father, but it's only through me that they get to the Father. So no matter how you try to finagle your way around, if it's not through Jesus, you don't have life, we're gonna get there. If you don't go through Jesus, you don't have hope. If you don't go through Jesus, you are not saved. If you do not go through Jesus, you're wrong. And it's not out of arrogance and beating my chest and loving to say those things. It's with a heavy heart that I say that because I know that there are dozens in the room who think that I'm crazy and that I'm lying. They want to think, you, many in this room, want to think that there's other ways to God and there's other ways to hope and life and peace after this existence is over, but you're not reconciling that with scripture. And I pray that you would consider this and consider however hard it may be to think through this and, and, and to get yourself to this place, but consider what if you were wrong? And what if this 
Jesus' stuff in Scripture is right? What if? I pray that you would just get to that place and consider that, especially those who think that there's hope in other names other than Jesus. It says here in this passage that God gave us eternal life and this life is in the Son. And this is the very thing that makes Jesus unique. Jesus is God. Jesus is God's Son. This is the means of our eternal life and our eternal hope. And this testimony that God has given is not only what God has said, but it's what God has done. It's an act of God, a saving act of God on our behalf. God gives life. The life is found in his son. Eternal life is life with Jesus, in Jesus, for the Father's glory, forever and ever and ever, and there is no other way. So look at verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's no gray. Eternal life and the Son, they go together. You cannot have one without the other. Jesus isn't just the source of life. He is life. If you don't have the Son, you do not have eternal life or eternal hope. You still remain outside of grace. We all inherit death as a punishment for our sins, for the things that we do wrong, as well as the things that people do wrong towards us because of our first parents failing to believe God in the garden, Adam and Eve. And the punishment was death. So we are all born naturally in this death. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the price of this sin that we've, we've, we've participated in, the price or the wage is death. But the gift of God, it says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're all born in death. But those who by faith believe this about Jesus are now reborn into life. So your situation can change. There's hope. There's incredible, literal hope for you. The good news is that God has sent his son Jesus to take on the penalty of death and the good news is, is that he did it perfectly. He came and he lived and he died in your place. And he punched death in the mouth, knocked it out, killed it, so that now those who have faith in him can live. Death no longer has to be something feared. It no longer has to be something that remains on you. You can have hope and peace when you consider getting old or something tragic happening because of what Jesus has done. Wrapping this up, do not place your hope of peace after this life in anything else, hoping that God will save you regardless of your worship and belief in his son. That is making God out to be a liar. 
You're hoping in something that God never said. You must not be indifferent to Jesus. Jesus lived his life in such a way that he was to be accepted and worshiped or rejected and completely ignored. He never left us an option of being, huh, Jesus is just all right with me. Never left us room for that. That's not fair. That's not playing according to the rules. When you take his claims and you see his claims, you believe him and you're saved or you absolutely deny him because it's absurd the things that he said if they were not true and very cruel. If Jesus isn't who he said he was, very, very cruel. He must be hated and ignored. He didn't leave it up to us to simply appreciate him as a prophet. You don't understand what he said if you think you can appreciate him as a prophet. My prayer this morning is that you would receive this truth, and that you would trust Jesus. Trusting and believing in Jesus, God, Jesus, the Son of God, gives you life, meaningful, purposeful life today, as well as life forevermore. Peace in this life and in the life to come. And then, by faith, when you believe this stuff, we want to celebrate this with you. We want to celebrate your belief in who Jesus was and what he did and how he's changed you. And we do that through public baptism, a ministry of Jesus that we've seen and we've participated throughout church history following what he's done, where you go, you, you, it's, it, you go down in this water just like you're being buried, just like you've died, and you come up a new person, a new creation. It's signifying what God has done in your life and heart. We would love to celebrate this with you. If you want life and if you want peace and if you want assurance and hope, you must believe these things about who Jesus is, that he was God and that he lived perfectly for you as your representative and that he died as a substitute for you, bearing the very punishment that was due to you, he took upon himself, becoming your sin. And believe that Jesus beat death for you, proving to be life himself and granting you life forever. To truly believe and hope in this is to be made new. It is to be reborn. It is to be saved. It is what it means to be a Christian. My prayer is that many of you here would trust in Jesus and let us celebrate the fact that you believe him and that you're no longer indifferent to him or simply appreciate him as a prophet and that you no longer ignore him or hate him, but you see him for who he really was, and you simply believe him. We want to celebrate that with you. And I would love for you to come tell me this, celebrate this, let's baptize you. We'll do it next week. We would love to do this. Please. This is my prayer. Christian, be encouraged. We serve a living God. Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. As we now transition to our communion time, let us remember what Jesus has done for us. As we take the bread and dip it into the juice or the wine, what we're doing is we, we are remembering what Jesus has accomplished for us, his perfect life. Think about that in his body, giving up his perfect body for us. And then we dip it in the juice or wine, signifying 
his blood that he shed for us. Scripture teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so it's by that blood that we're cleansed, oddly enough. It's remarkable. So let's remember this. This meal is for Christ's followers. And if you believe Jesus, has something changed in your heart this morning and you went from ignoring, hating, to appreciating, to now worshiping Jesus, we invite you to the table. May today be the first time that you take this as a believer, as a Christian. So we're gonna have servers at three stations. Take the next few moments to pray and consider and journal and, and talk and discuss with your friends. Take these next few moments of just instrumental music, of just thinking through what's been spoken and said and preached this morning. And I pray that the Lord continues to work in our hearts during this time. Let me pray for our communion. Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for, for what you accomplished for us. Thank you for justifying us. Lord, my prayer is for those who, Lord, are perhaps today for the very first time trusting you. Lord, give them the courage and the boldness needed to publicly confess that you are Lord. And Lord, would they be baptized? Lord, would they begin to pursue you in reading of you in scripture and serving in the church and talking to you in prayer? Lord, do these things in the hearts of these people. Lord, we give this time to you. Continue to move and, and, and act in here in this place, Lord, in the hearts of your people. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.